Okay, here we go. Welcome to Adventure's first teaching series of 2021, the original Big Ten. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm really glad you're here. I knew it was going to be an interesting weekend when I saw the weatherman this week say... It's one degree out right now, and we've got some really cold weather coming this weekend. I thought, oh man, that's, that's getting pretty bad. That is getting pretty bad. But uh, we are on commandment number six, and as we're looking at this tonight, um, this is an interesting commandment because this commandment is the first one that does not specifically mention God. So you've got five that specifically mention God, the first five, and then the second set of five, they don't specifically mention God at all. In fact, let's bring that picture up. So this is uh, from the movie, The Ten Commandments, the documentary. Um, so this is from the movie, The Ten Commandments, Cecil B. DeMille and Char Charlton Heston. So that's not actually Moses. But uh, this was how they saw to break them out. And so when you see the Ten Commandments displayed, you usually see it on two commandments, or two tablets, five commandments on each one. And the reason for that is on the first tablet, those are the first commands about God. And on the second tablet are the commandments about how you interact with other humans. Um, so that second set are about how you're supposed to behave. So that's why you'll, you'll see them often portrayed on two different, two different stones like that. Not for artistic symmetry, but because there actually is a natural division in the content there that makes it much easier to understand. And even though the second five don't actually mention God, God is still the reason why we want to make sure we obey those commandments. So those are, that's what those are. Now, the first commandment on that list, if you want to follow with me in your listening guide, Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, we'll do the old, old English one first. Thou shalt not murder. That's how most of us memorized it, right? A lot of us memorized it in the old, almost King James stuff. And then here it is in a newer translation. You must not murder. Why must you not murder? Because murder is absolutely the worst thing one human can commit against another human. It's pretty straightforward. You simply end them if you murder them. So the other four on that second tablet, those other four commandments about how you interact with people, those prohibit stealing, uh, coveting, um, false uh, testimony, uh, oh, and adultery. And those are all serious offenses, but the reality is the worst offense you can commit against another human being is the deliberate taking of an innocent human being's life. And we're going to work that out a little bit further here in a few minutes. So let's start taking some notes here. Introduction, first thing. Without God, murder is a matter of opinion. Now I want you to think that through with me. Without God, Murder is just a matter of opinion. There was a guy by the name of Bertrand Russell. I think he was probably the most famous and probably the most eloquent atheist of the 20th century. Said, 
I cannot see how to refute the argument for the subjectivity of all ethical values. In other words, I can't fight against the, the, the thought that all ethical values are just matters of opinion. He says, but I refuse to accept that the only thing wrong with wanton cruelty is that I don't like it. So in other words, what he says is, I've got a paradox here. I don't know what to do with this. I don't believe there's a supreme being, but I also don't want to believe that evil, including murder, is just a matter of my opinion. There has to be something more to this. So that guy lived to be almost 100 years old. He made it like 97 or 98 years of age. But he could never come up with a better argument against murder other than, I don't like it. See, if there's no God who says murder is wrong, then there's no way of saying murder is objectively wrong or that murder is absolutely wrong. So if that's the case, then one can only say like what Bertrand Russell said, I don't like it. I think it's wrong. I feel deep in my heart that it's wrong. My society says it's wrong, but it's not objectively wrong. It's not absolutely wrong. For that, we need some authority higher than humans. For that, we need an authority that is an absolute authority. For that, we need God. Now, I've had atheist friends in the past who have kind of hit me with this really utilitarian argument. Uh, I guess that'd be how I would describe it, being utilitarian. And they have said things to me like this. Well, you see, we don't murder because we don't want murdered. And we don't murder because then that starts us on a slippery slope where other people can murder. So we just don't murder. That's not what we do. And so, you know, essentially what they do is they kind of give us like the mirror image, the negative image of the golden rule, right? Remember the golden rule? What was the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So they use the negative side of that and they say, all right, so here's what we're going to do. We're not going to do anything to you that we don't want you to do to us. Um, so we don't murder others, and that way others don't murder us. Now, on the surface, if you're not a deep thinker, that sounds really great. <laughs> um, but it's incoherent. I mean, it makes no sense. Um, it just makes no sense. Let me explain. All right. A, without God, murder isn't morally wrong. So like Bertrand Russell, we can make the argument that for reasons of self-interest, people should want to see murder outlawed. In other words, I should want to see murder outlawed because I don't want me or someone I love to be murdered. But that still doesn't make it morally wrong. What that does is it makes it inconvenient. <laughs> It just makes it irritating. It simply makes it distasteful. It makes it objectionable to me, especially if I'm the victim of the murder and they don't do it quickly. Or it's someone in my family, someone that I love. So once we decide that we are the deciders of what's good and what's evil, pain and broken relationships... Um, and manipulating people and killing people literally becomes the norm. 
I mean, you don't have to go too far in some neighborhoods to see where that has happened because people in a neighborhood have decided they are the arbiters of right and wrong and it becomes your normal state of existence. All right, here's another thought. B, without God, any objection to murder is simply naive. In other words, just thinking that because I choose not to murder someone that someone won't murder me is kind of the silliness of, I, I realize it sounds good, the whole pay it forward thing sounds good. If you actually think that through, that's just nonsensical. <laughs> the whole concept is nonsensical. But it's naive because it's not how evil works. Let's take Chicago, for example. As of 2.25 p.m. today, in the city of Chicago, there have been 67 people shot and killed this year. This is from January 1st to 2.25 today. There have been 247 people shot and wounded so it's a total of 314 people shot, and 68 of those have been homicides. Seven have happened this week. Now, of those who committed the 68 homicides or the 314 shootings this year, as of 2.25 p.m. today, reminding you, I don't think any of those people said, man, I would really like to be murdered. <laughs> none, of those people, none of those people were out looking to be murdered today, right? In fact, they didn't want to be murdered themselves. And the fact that they didn't want to be murdered or shot themselves didn't stop them from murdering or shooting somebody else. See, what happens is a lot of times murder is just actually, because we're lazy, murder is a matter of convenience. <laughs> That's what it is. I think you look at those Chicago murders, you'll find people saying things like this. You have something I want, and murdering you is faster and easier and more convenient than me working and saving up for it. You irritate me, and murdering you just takes a minute, where letting you live inconveniences me for the rest of your life. Or... You aren't from my group, and your existence hinders the conveniences of my group, so murdering you fixes that little irritation. Or, I don't like it when you're in my neighborhood, so rather than suffer the inconvenience of you being in my neighborhood and having to deal with your presence and your influence, murdering you is nothing compared to the inconvenience of your existence. <laughs> this whole concept of murder... It's just so much deeper than we realize. See, without God, it's a matter of survival of the fittest. So if there's no God to say murder is wrong, then it actually becomes a matter of survival of the fittest. In other words, anyone who can be killed didn't deserve to exist to start with. Yale professor Timothy Snyder wrote this. Rejecting the biblical commandments, said Hitler, was what human beings must do. Here's what Hitler wrote. If I can accept a divine commandment, it's this one. Thou shalt preserve the species. And by species, Hitler meant what? The race. In other words, murderous ide ideologies 
are far more likely to be guided by survival of the fittest than they are by, I'm not going to kill someone because I don't want killed. I'm not going to murder someone because I don't want murdered. So this commandment carrying the authority of God the Creator prohibits anyone from murdering anyone regardless of race, regardless of religion, regardless of class, regardless of gender, regardless of any other weird human distinction you can come up with. All right, so let's wade in deep. Number one, I need to grasp the difference between murdering and killing. There is a massive difference between the two. This verse is so misunderstood. It always amazes me that I can run into some activist who has never read a single line out of the Bible in their entire life, and yet they can quote this verse in 17th century English. <laughs> it just drives me crazy. Thou shalt not what? Kill. Now that was, so the King James, that comes from the King James Version. The King James Version was a fantastic English version between 1604 and 1769. It was fantastic. It was translated by a large group of guys who got most of it right. But the problem is the English, the English language is alive and it's evolving all the time. Meaning that words change in meaning over generations. For example, in the 14th century, the word meat meant anything you put in your mouth that was solid. So eating a potato was considered meat. Eating an apple was considered eating meat. Eating a carrot was considered eating meat. Eating bread was considered eating meat. Meat didn't mean animal flesh until the 20th century. So calling animal flesh meat is only about 100 years old in the English because the words change. Oh, you'll like this one. So in the 14th and 15th centuries, well, so today the word nice means pleasant, agreeable, or delightful. In the 14th and 15th centuries, the word nice meant ignorant, stupid, or foolish. So now you will always wonder. <laughs> You're so nice. Is that an insult or a compliment? Right? Now that you know that, you have the ability to question it. You're so nice. <laughs> I know how I'm using it. <laughs> okay, the word flirt is another one. So for us, the word flirt means to uh, focus our attention on drawing attention, usually sexual, uh, or something you're becoming obsessed with. You flirt with it. You, you want to learn more about it. You're trying to understand it better. But uh, actually, in the 16th century, to flirt meant to hit someone with your elbow, jab them with your hand, or speak to them with scorn or derision. So if you saw somebody and they made you crazy and you went, that's flirting. Because <laughs> the language changes, right? So why did the King James Version use the word kill rather than the, murder, the word murder? Because 400 years ago they were the same word. They meant the same thing. They were synonymous with each other. 
But the language has evolved. So unfortunately, like with the King James Version, because it's kind of the Mac Daddy of all translations in English, um, some of the newer versions stayed with the word kill because that was what was commonly used, and that's how people memorized it. And yet the reality is, back then, kill meant murder, and kill doesn't mean murder anymore. It's changed, and it's led to a lot of people using, in, in modern times, using this commandment from the King James to defend things that are indefensible. Passivism, for one, to opposing capital punishment for murder is another one, to oppose even the killing of animals. Now, by the way, let me just footnote this. There may be some valid reasons for opposing the death penalty, but this commandment isn't one of them. <laughs> this commandment has nothing to do with that. In fact, a little common sense on some of this stuff would show you that it is inconceivable that the brilliant minds who translated for us the King James Bible thought that the Ten Commandments pre or prohibited killing in self-defense or killing in defense of one's family or a stranger or conducting a just war, or thinking that the Ten Commandments would have actually promoted pacifism in the face of evil. It just makes no sense. It's just ridiculous. Right. Number two, the Bible is clear that there is moral killing and immoral killing. So even if you didn't know that the English language has evolved, the Bible still makes it clear that it did not, the pro, it did not prohibit all killing of humans or the killing of animals. So in the very same part of the Bible that has the Ten Commandments, what we call the Torah, um, it commands the death penalty for premeditated murder. It allows for killing in a just war. It allows for killing and self-defense. We're going to come back to that in just a few minutes. Both the Hebrew and the English have two different words for taking a life. One is kill and one is murder. And the difference between the two words, their difference in their meanings, is massive. And honestly, it's actually very clear and very obvious. To kill means to take any life, whether it's a human being or an animal, um, the, it, 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 it means to take a human life, whether it's deliberately or accidentally, not, not deliberately, or to take a human life legally or illegally or morally or immorally. But murder, on the other hand, only means one thing. It means the illegal, the immoral taking of a human life. That's why we say, I killed a fly, not I murdered a fly, right? That's why we say the worker was accidentally killed, not the worker was accidentally murdered. See, if the commandment had actually been thou shalt not kill, then God would have been forbidding under any circumstances any action that might lead to the death of someone who might be in the process of massacring 200 children in a Florida school. It would have said that can't happen. You can't do anything about that guy. God would have been forgetting under, forbidding under any circumstances any action that might lead to the death of someone who has entered your home to kill your family. Or it would make it so that God was forbidding under any circumstances that any action should be taken to stop. Any action that might lead to the death of, say, 
SS troopers <laughs> or Nazis. It would suggest that God thinks it's okay for you to let them just murder and take over the world and enslave millions. See, do not kill is the position of pacifism, the belief that it's always wrong to take a human life, but that position is just morally untenable and it's not supported by this commandment. All right, this addresses murder. So the prohibition of murder, that's reserved for the taking of, taking of a life, an innocent life, an innocent human. It's not about people who the only way to stop them is to kill them. So again, that's why we say, let me play it out for you one more time, a terrorist murdered five people. But we say the police killed the terrorist. One is immoral, one is moral. Murder is a term we reserve for the unjust taking of life. That's why we say, I killed him in self-defense, not I murdered him in self-defense. All right? I'm going a little bit belabored with some of this because there are a lot of people, you got a slow walk to an epiphany here. All right, number three. Why is God so specific about murder? Because all humans bear the image of God, right? We've been talking about this. We call it the Imago Dei. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make human beings, all humans, in our image to be like ourselves. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Now, how do we bear the Imago Dei. How do you and I bear the image of God? Well, there's several ways. We have the ability to love. We have the ability to create. We have an innate knowledge that there are things that are right and that there are things that are wrong. We have this ability to ration. Uh, we, can, we can sort out things. We can understand things. We can reason. You do not see monkeys painting the Mona Lisa. You do not see chimpanzees building an Eiffel Tower. Nowhere, you know, are there spider monkeys planting a colony on Mars. <laughs> Those are distinctly human traits. Those are distinctly things that we got because we were created in the image of a creative God. So God sets a higher standard for humankind. Now, watch this. Genesis 9, verse 6. If anyone takes a human life, and the context of that means unjustly, so that we're talking about a murder here. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by who? Human hands. In other words, God leaves that to society to deal with someone who murders. Now, why does someone who murders lose their life, forfeit their life? God explains that. Watch. For God made human beings in his own image. So to murder a human being is to literally strike at the image, to strike at the face of God. It is to attack the Imago Dei. It's the ultimate rebellion. See, God spoke very strongly about murder. So in the books that we call the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, also known as the books of Moses... Um, there's Genesis, which establishes the creation story up until the Hebrews arrive 
uh, in Egypt and then established themselves in Egypt. There's the Exodus, which picks up after they've gotten in trouble and become slaves. And it talks about how God frees them and God uh, marches them to the edge of the promised land. Then there's the book of Leviticus, which establishes the rules and the legal proceedings and the moral practices of this newly forming free nation. There's the book of Numbers, which has the census as soon as they exit Egypt and end up at the base of Mount Sinai. And then there's another census right before they go into the promised land. And then there's the book of Deuteronomy, which recounts their history from beginning all the way up and then gives them the encouragement to go into the promised land. And in all five of those books, the only commandment that is repeated is that murderers shall be put to death. That's how much God hates someone who takes the life of someone else. So opponents of the death penalty are absolutely free to hold that position, to be opposed to the death penalty. Um, but the Ten Commandments does not support that position. All right, so let's start wrapping this up. Conclusion. So the Bible calls you and I to a higher standard. In fact, the standard for us as God's people isn't just we won't murder the standard for us is we're going to be even better than that. More is expected of us than that. See, where the Old Testament leans very heavily on how we should behave, get our behavior under control, and why we should get our behavior under control. There's actually only one of the Ten Commandments that talks about your thinking. Nine of the commandments talk about how you do things. There's only one that talks about how you should be thinking inside your head. The New Testament leans very heavily on how we need to get our thinking under control, how we need to adjust and deal with that, how we've got to take responsibility for how we feel and what we do with how we feel because those things are internal choices. I mean, the New Testament basically says that's on us to deal with. You know, we often you hear people joke in their, their best Yoda voice, which I won't punish you with my Yoda voice. But fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to, in your best Yoda voice, hate leads to suffering. Yeah, right. Listen, that's not just common sense. That's actually pretty much biblical. Check this out. From James chapter 1. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. After, afterward, once they get through the testing, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. Now, that's... That's an old way of saying that. You know how we say that today in our Midwestern American culture? The way we ask that same question about, is God tempting me? What we do is we say, why is God doing this to me? Why is God doing this to me? He says, yeah, that's not the right question to be asking. God is never tempted to do wrong. In other words, God does not do mean things to you. So when you feel like God is being mean to you, just know up front, you, you're wrong already. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Here, just underline to the end. Here's the key point. Temptation comes from our own desires, 
which entice us. So the things that are in my heart get my attention, get my focus. They entice me and they drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, because once I do it, I tend to do it more than once, it gives birth to what? Death, because the wages of sin is death, right? So what he's telling us is all murder, all sin starts deep inside of us. And that includes murder. It, it may begin in childhood, before we understand what it is. But God still says, as you grow up, it's still on you. It's still your responsibility to appropriately root out those things. So James tells us that sin begins deep inside of us as an emotional thought. And when we don't respond appropriately to poor thinking then things keep happening and we keep going down that road and it becomes a compulsion. And eventually we act on those thoughts. We act on that compulsion and sin is the result. And what happens is, remember the Ten Commandments, they're planning to, God's telling him, this is how you establish a free nation where everyone can be free. When an entire generation in a nation grows up never being taught to take responsibility for their thoughts and for their emotions, violence and murder are not far away. The Apostle John warns us that to stop the murder, you have to fix the thinking before it happens. In fact, all the act does is tell you that your thinking is seriously messed up. The sin started a long time ago. Here's how John describes it. 1 John chapter 3. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a what? A murderer. At heart. And here's the reason he warns us that. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. So when we talk about, Scripture says, the Ten Commandments say, thou shalt not murder. Really what it's getting at is you need to back way up because murder is a product of a long series of choices. A long series of uncontrolled thoughts. A long series of bad reasoning that has led you to this point. We've got to deal with thinking appropriately. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to stop tonight and look and see what your word says and to go really deep into this one sentence and handle a lot of the misunderstandings that have happened. Father, tonight we ask you that you help us. Help us understand where we have actually headed down that path by hating people. By letting ourselves think Oh, I haven't physically killed anybody, but I'm okay to hate people. Father, we thank you that you've warned us that, hey, if you run around hating people, it's just as if you murdered them. Your heart's in the same condition. Father, may each of us look deeply into our own lives. May we study, may we learn to love, may, may we understand that hating 
other people is hating people that you've created. That hating other people is hating someone that's created in your image. Someone else who bears the Imago Dei just like us. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the lessons there that help us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.